You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome to episode 13 of Not Another Least Podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network. Ken Sapon joined by Brendan McCarthy. This week's episode, a two-part episode, as the first part we recorded a little bit earlier in the week on the Wednesday, reacting to the free agent signings that the Toronto Maple Leafs have made this offseason. The second part we get to in the second half of the episode, our reaction to the Leafs signing Joe Thornton. We recorded that on the following Sunday huge signing just had to squeeze into this week's episode so let's get to the first part of our episode this week the free agent signings from the toronto maple leafs bmac i'd ask you what's up but uh we're staying in the same house but for some reason still recording <laughs> this over zoom hey you know what i've been waiting to tell you this all day kenny i was playing tennis earlier little doubles action and i tried some smelling salts i know a lot of the the hockey oh you're like matt martin the hockey gurus, man, they love their they love their smelling salts. And let me tell you, it just clears everything up. Like I was just feeling locked. <laughs> I was ready to go. Let me tell you. Yeah, man, I hear that. Uh, that'll clean out the sinuses, give you a little boost, a little bit of energy. Especially, it's just like uh, before puck drop. Oh, have you tried it? I've never done the smelling salts. No. It's it's huge. It's just like it's like legal cocaine, and you just feel like great. It felt very exuberant. I got to be honest, it's not something that I would probably dabble in before I uh, hit the tennis ball around. Well, I won. I won all my sets. Well, three of four. I won three of four. That's pretty good. Yeah, so I was dialed. Were you I guys playing like five-game sets or whatever? Yeah, we did three sets, and then I took on two of my buddies, little Australian action, and swept them. So kudos, kudos to the smelling salts. I see why uh, Marner and your boy Matt Martin were always handing them to each other before uh, before the games on the bench there. That was great stuff. Yeah, they were getting into them for sure for a little while. So we recorded our last episode on Friday, right before the free agent frenzy. And seems like a year really ago get now. Into, yeah, my goodness. It seems like it was an eternity ago, doesn't it? Yeah. Now so much has just happened. And then all of a sudden now you look and the whole NHL landscape has changed. And especially for the Leafs in particular – I know one thing that I wouldn't say that we were being critical of, of Kyle Dubas before the draft was him saying they wanted to get tougher, but then he was drafting all these smaller players. Well, he did that in free agency by adding Wayne Simmons and Zach Bogosian, a couple of big players who play a physical game and really bring a different element to the Toronto Maple Leafs team than we're expected from seeing. 
Absolutely. And I think Wayne Simmons and Zach Bogosian are two fabulous additions to this Toronto Maple Leaf club that really lacked size and grit. And you start with Bogosian. I mean, obviously he has a Stanley Cup ring now. He's experienced that winning culture. Uh, this is a guy who's been in the league for a long time, Kenny. He was third overall pick, actually, back back in the day. And, you know, pretty decent career. He's, he's hopped around to a couple spots now, but most recently, obviously, Tampa winning the Cup there. And I think he could be a very, very good option as a seventh defenseman or slide into to the top four, depending on where we are in the season. And then you talk about Simmons. I mean, it all fits for that guy. He's coming home. You know, he loves Toronto. Clearly, he's been on, like, basically every radio show in Toronto since he's been acquired. Yeah. One year, 1.5 mil. I mean, a great deal. You know, he's a bruiser. He could make the Leafs meaner. And Clifford's gone too to St. Louis. So this is definitely going to bolster the the Leafs' bottom six for sure. When I look at Bogosian in particular, I don't see really how this guy is not going to be a consistent player for the Leafs. I think that Kyle Dubas added this player with the intention of plugging him directly into the lineup. He's one of the few right-shooting defensemen that the Leafs have. I think, yeah, next uh, to Hall. Yeah, him and Hall. And then, uh, obviously, the addition of TJ Brody. Don't want to bury the lead. That was obviously the big signing. Yep. Looks like he'll probably slot in with Riley. And then if you feel like they're going to keep Muzzin and Hall together, then the third pairing might look something of the like of uh, Dermot and Bogosian or Sandine and Bogosian or whatever it is that they end up uh, working out. We'll see what Sheldon Keefe has up his sleeve for that. I don't want to speculate too much on defensive pairings. But this guy is, I think, a player that's been a little bit pigeonholed after his career in Buffalo. Obviously, he wasn't, didn't have a great stretch of games there, dealt with injuries. Uh, he had the only 18-game campaign in 17-18, uh, and then, again, was dealing with injuries in the last season, 19-20, uh, before getting dished to Tampa Bay. I think that this guy is an underrated skater and has the ability to break the puck out of the zone pretty efficiently in addition to just bringing size and weight. I mean, like how big is he? He's got to be like well over 200 pounds, which is an element that the Leafs defense has missed on the back end. Really he's, outside Jake Munson, they don't have anybody with size. He's 6'3", 226. One thing that kind of bothers me is that when the Leafs go out and get these players overseas, like Miko Lettinen and Barabanov, it's rare for them to kind of get injected into the lineup and thrive consistently. The only really gem out of it was Ilya Mikheyev, who unfortunately went down early with the wrist injury. But we can't just assume that Lettinen's going to be a top six and yeah. part of that um, back end consistently. Because, you know... Ozhiganov was another one. Oh, thank you. That's another perfect example. You know, it's... You can't just assume. I mean, the, the, the bottom six in terms of the forward group is completely up in the air. And I would much rather, as you alluded to earlier, I would much rather have an vet, right shot, experienced guy in Zach Bogosian to round out the, the decor. Well, I think depth is really important when you look at the defense and when you look at the grind. Yeah of an 82-game season and then the grind of the postseason, you inherently are going to need about two or three extra defensemen outside of your starting six who are going to be able to plug in and help you get through just the tumultuous time that is the postseason. I mean, it happens every year. You're going to end up getting injuries on the back end. It's going to take time. Some guys are able to play through it. 
But for the most part, you're going to need at least a couple defensemen who you feel comfortable plugging into your lineup in whatever spot it is. Bogosian is one of those players. And before this, who was the seventh defenseman? It was Martin Marincin. Yeah. No offense to the specialists, but I don't want this guy chewing any sort of serious minutes when it comes to the postseason or the Toronto's just going to get rocked. He's not capable of elevating his game to that level. I'm not suggesting that Zach Bogosian is going to be the second coming of, I don't know, Zidane Chara or some sh- <laughs> shutdown defenseman who's going to come in and play mean and just do everything that the, fix all the Leafs' problems. But I think he's a nice add at a low, low risk, low cost, one-year deal. He can come in if he helps the team. Obviously, he's bringing, bringing that championship pedigree from the Tampa Bay Cup run that they just went on. I think that this is a terrific, terrific ad for Kyle Dubas. And then, as you were alluding to earlier, the addition of Wayne Simmons. Man, Simmons at that price point, I love the signing. I don't know whether he's going to be playing on the third line, whether he's playing on the fourth line. And I know that over the last couple of years of his career, he's taking a little bit of a downturn, had a rough year in New Jersey last year. But this player is going to bring something that Bogosian also brings to the lineup, some grit, some determination, and some, excuse the language, but just like he doesn't give a shit about anybody on the other team. He'll chirp from the bench. He doesn't He's give willing a flying to mix it up beep. and protect his teammates. Absolutely. I was listening to one of the hits on Overdrive that featured Simmons, and they're joking around because he actually does have a couple of Gordie Howe hat tricks. I believe he has four. <laughs> and – they were like, okay, what's the what's the over under here? Like one point five that you'll get another Gordie Howe hat trick. He's like, oh, look at if I'm lucky enough to have a goal in the system game, I'm just gonna go and grab somebody. I don't care who it is. Like he yeah. doesn't give a rat's a. I mean, and this is a guy who cares if he's gonna play on the second, third, or fourth. He can play big minutes on the power play as well. Just be that. It'll be like JVR 2.0. I don't know if he has the same hands as JVR in the crease, but no, he can just knock somebody over and, and bury a garbage goal. I feel like Simmons is more of a, I'm going to go in front of the net, cross-check the defenseman in the back, and maybe try to get deflect, deflection off my knee. Or shovel something in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, he's had a little bit of a bad rap the last couple of seasons as well. Like, remember he got traded to Nashville, the trade deadline from yes. Philadelphia. And it just didn't really work out. Like, over that stretch, it was, he played about, uh, let's see, 17 games and only three points. And that's just not a good showing for a player of Simmons' caliber. And obviously, he's in the back end of his career. He plays a type of game that's going to put a lot of miles on the body, and you don't expect to see that sort of same production. But just bringing that sort of element into the room, I think could be really beneficial for this young Maple Leafs team. Absolutely. And, you know, speaking of being vocal and, you know, showing leadership qualities in the dressing room, something that the Leafs need, uh, you know, this is a Mark Messe NHL leadership award recipient. So he's definitely not shy to speak up when, when things are, are, are going wrong and, and there's not much yeah. life. And sometimes there's been situations this past year where the Leafs really needed that. And he, he could provide that spark. And sure, his production has, has certainly dipped since leaving Philadelphia in yeah, nobody's expecting him to be the same player that he was, you know, three or four years ago. But. No, definitely not. And then he knows he knows why he's coming to Toronto. It's, it's, it's you know, obviously they're not going to lock him down long term. But this is a, hey, show me what you got. How are you going to inject more life and energy and, you know, that sandpaper into this Leafs lineup that still has lots of learning to do? 
I look at the big ad for the Maple Leafs, and let's feel like we might have buried the lead getting into Bogosian and Simmons, but the big ad was on the right side of the defensive core, an area that has long been circled as a necessary up- upgrade for the Toronto Maple Leafs franchise, and they got their upgrade through free agency, signing TJ Brody. I believe it's uh, five by five. Is that correct on the contract? Four year, five mil AAV. So four, four by five. Yeah. So this player or this ad for the Maple Leafs, I mean, everybody's saying, oh, he's a left shot, he's a left shot, but he plays the right side. Yeah, he plays the right Reverse side. to play the right side. So, like, that's arbitrary to me unless, like, I'm not Bike Mapcock, so I don't care if it's a left shot playing the right side. That doesn't bother me at all. And I don't pretend to watch it the most Calgary Flames games in the world. They're oftentimes start a little bit late, so you might catch the third period or whatever if you're watching the Eastern games. But this guy, from what I understand, played the majority of his time alongside Marchio O'Donnell. And that's a tremendous partner who plays a similar kind of game, obviously a little bit more accomplished at this at the point in his career than he is. But I can see a lot of similarities in his game to Morgan Riley's game. In a sense, he understands how to join the rush. He understands how to move the puck forward, quick and efficient, out of the defensive zone. And Brody, for all his flaws, you know, Flames fans will point to the fact that he does turn the puck over every once in a while. And, you know, for Maple Leaf fans, that might give them bad recollections of defensemen in the past, a la Jake Gardner. Yikes, just but throwing every, pizzas <laughs> up the middle some nights. Yeah, every once in a while it happens. But when you have a defenseman who's going to – try to make that play. He's going to be aggressive with the puck. You just have to take the good with the bad. I love the signing of Brody over the big signing of Alex Petrangelo, who obviously ended up signing in Las Vegas. I think that signing all these players and getting three, four, five players who can come in and potentially influence your lineup over breaking the bank and then not being able to sign anybody was the right move for the GM. It was honestly, I, I know I said for the draft, I, in terms of letter grades, I gave Dubas, a, I believe, a B plus, and you and you were in agreement with that, I believe. Yeah. And I, I'd say over the last week of these trades and acquisitions, I give him an A, man. I mean, these are just cheap, affordable deals, as you said, low risk, low cost, and to remind low risk, high reward. Low risk, high reward at the end of the day. And to our listeners out there, let's go through who the Leafs have dropped. Andreas Janssen to the Devils, Casper Kapan to the Pittsburgh Penguins, Goche still unsigned. Kyle Clifford to the Blues, Evan Rodriguez, I guess they just flipped him to Pitt. And Tyson Berry going to the Oilers, and CC still remains unsigned. So, I mean, they have definitely done a lot of cleanup, in-house cleanup. And a, a couple side notes too, Kenny, is Mikheyev is going to salary arbitration. They still need to sort things out there. He's an unsigned RFA. And Dermot surely is going to get uh, a contract sorted out. He was just received a qualifying offer recently. So it's it's certainly in good shape since the uh, the night after game five loss to the Columbus Blue Jackets. Man, there's so much that you said there that I want to touch on. I just feel like I just got my brain just turned into scrambled eggs. Sorry, I just was, was like, like, so I was had like, to mention like all seven, that. There were seven things at the same time. I was like, <laughs> oh, yeah, there was that, there was that, there was that. Or, okay, so first and foremost, can we just talk about what a master class is looking like now that Kyle Dubas was able to get a first-round pick for Gasparri Kapanen? It's huge. Given the man. way that the market has developed? Like, no way. 
anybody's paying a first-round pick for Kapanen now. People are just dumping forwards all over the place. I mean, Jesus, Vancouver picked up Nate Schmidt from the Vegas Golden Knights for, for a third-round third pick. pick. A top-four defenseman in the NHL is getting picked up for a third-round pick because teams just can't afford it. They, they have to dump salary. You touched on Andreas Janssen. That was basically a salary dump for the Leafs. I don't know much about the prospect coming back in return, but – Joey Anderson, pay, yeah, it's, yeah, I don't expect him to pay dividends. I was actually talking with uh, our good friend of the show, Ian Tolick, about him. He's like, yeah, I don't know much about this prospect. It seems who like does he go to NHL? Uh, who does he go to oh, NHL player too? I was playing him in NHL last night. I, I honestly thought I would have the upper hand, but the analytics got to me. He he must have beat me probably thirteen or fourteen to two in two games. It good was God. brutal. Good God. Yeah, good God is right. Like, and I, I, I'd like to savvy myself like a pretty good NHL player. I'm actually just going to burn that game tape. I think the new game comes out on Friday. So I could just go pick up the new one, sort of start fresh. That's why I get most engaged in NHL when the new game comes out. I'll probably play about 60 games in a two-week period. And then uh, we'll dust the sticks off and uh, go back toe-to-toe because I need uh, some serious redemption after that ass-whooping at the hands of Ian Graffs. Well, we'll have a good game at Shell later. We, we've never even played each other before, so that should yeah. be interesting. Yeah, maybe that'll be, a, that'll be the wrong place, wrong time for you. I just got tuned up, and I'm going to unleash the Kraken. Yeah, it's a, in addition to like all these moves the Leafs made, um, another thing that you'd mentioned was the Mikhaev arbitration. Yes. So we were talking about this on TSN 1050 this week, and we had James Mortal of The Athletic on basically Micaiah filing for salary arbitration really means that he wants to stay in Toronto was what I understood because I think that they suggested that he's only played 37 NHL games. So basically like if he's going to arbitration, the qualifying offer, the comparables would be a player akin to the likes of a familiar face of Toronto, Josh Lebo. Like, basically, there's no way that he's going to get over a million dollars from a neutral arbitrator based off playing 37 games in the NHL. It doesn't matter what his production was. It doesn't matter about the injury. It doesn't matter about any of that. As long as if he was extremely effective in the postseason, so we can point to that. Basically, you're looking at a contract that an individual arbitrator is going to rule in the Leafs' favor. But also, I think this works out for the player as well because likely he wanted to stay in Toronto – after the way that we highlighted in the last couple episodes, he's a big fan of the way the organization handled his injury situation. And I don't think they necessarily want to leave. I think he's probably just looking for that extra 200 or 300 grand they could get in a neutral court. Yes. And you know what? Like, this is important to talk about. I know, like, we try and stay clear of all the, the cap talk and numbers, but it's important considering the Leafs are very... Cap talk, no cap talk I, during the regular season. Tight against the or cap. Or the playoffs, but now it's all cap talk all day. Well, it's got to be because... The, yeah, it's crunching the numbers, just, man. We're pushing to the ceiling here with, with what we what we can sign and what we can take on. And with Mikheyev, yes, I'm sure... I mean, I'm sure he wants to stay in Toronto, no question about that. But considering the like the pace he was on production-wise... You know, I'm sure he's trying to sneak into the 1 million, 1.5 range. And Dubas is like, look at, like, I can only really give you 950K. Like, I can't, I can't be spending in the millions now. I got a lot of one-year deals, like, with Bogosian and, and Simmons and Brody now. Like, you think of all, I guess I got 
seven new acquisitions now because they got Aaron Dell as a third string goalie. And you think majority of those contracts, Kenny, are all under a million. So I'm sure this arbitration period is going to go on for a while because of course he wants to stay, but I'm sure he's going to try and push for, you know, I I could see him maybe getting a a two-year deal. What's a neutral arbitrator going to give him? Like he's played 39 games. 39. That's it. Like an arbitrator is going to come to the table and say, oh, you know what? You're right. You deserve a $2 million deal based off your 39-game sample size in the NHL. It's just not going to happen. Like the closest comparable is going to be Josh Levo, according to Cap Friendly. Guess what he makes? Like it's like a million dollars. million bucks on the nose? I'll get you on the nose in just a second here. I didn't have the cap friendly pulled up. But, like, that's that's what I was looking at the other day, and that's what Myrtle was inciting when he was on the station, was that when you look at these comparables, and we're going to a neutral arbitration hearing, uh, 925, by the way, I think. Uh, his is 1.5, actually. Okay. Well, but that's personally. The, that's the closest comparable. But he has a s- substantial amount more NHL games. He's played 169 games in the league. That's the closest total as far as his production is concerned. Personally, I think Mikheyev deserves a mil. And maybe because he missed so much time this year. But what's the difference be... between 100K, though? I, I don't I think he I think he deserves I think he deserves a bit more than that. I, I think it's not I don't think it's gonna be below a mil. I, I well, can see them being like, hey, here, here's here's a here's one year one mil. Okay. Yeah. Last last season. I, I, that's sucks. exactly what I think is going to happen. One year, one mil. Yeah. Yeah. One year deal. Go out. Show us what you got. What? We'll yeah. Come back to the table in a year once we have a better idea of what the landscape's going to look like once the dust settles from the whole and a full season situation. for you. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. We'll see All what right. happens because it wasn't an impressive playoff, and there I think the expectations were that he was going to be able to produce. Maybe not even in uh, the bottom six of the forwards but they might be able to plug in on those top three line, top two lines alongside either Austin Matthews or John Tavares and put up some serious production. And obviously that didn't happen. Well, he just didn't have any production in the series against Columbus. He didn't No, And you know, again, I was going to bring this up earlier, but you know, here's a guy likely to crack the top six and that's a pretty loaded top six in terms of skill and AAV. So you'd think if he gets a full season with playing alongside either Johnny T or Matthews that you think his production is going to skyrocket and his value is going to skyrocket. So I think I'm glad you agree with me on that. The one year, one mil probably fits perfectly for Mikheyev. What do you make of the VC signing? This is another low risk, high reward signing, I think for the Toronto Maple Leafs that they can get some production that this guy was putting out earlier in his career with the Rangers. He was a very serviceable player, obviously a tough year last year. This guy had a lot of potential. He was a former Hobie Baker award potential. winner. Um, Big shout out to potential. Did I did I use potential again as a buzzword? It's so yeah, nice to use, though, isn't it? Though, yeah, so nice to use. It just it just rolls off yeah. the tongue. Um, yeah, as this long guy as was as also using it to describe the pods. Fine. <laughs> this this guy was also a uh, former liney of Alex Kerfoot in Harvard. Ooh, my boy's wicked. That's smart. a deep dig, my friend. Yeah. Oh, I found that, and I was like, nugget, back pocket. But yeah, put, uh, put, put that one away. So, yeah, I mean, like, sure, there's familiarity based off his his history playing college hockey. Like, you know, 
he can be a very, as you said, serviceable player and fit in quite nicely to to round out the the bottom six. And to be honest, I'd much rather this guy than Barabanov. I haven't even seen this guy play, but apparently he's subbing into the bottom line. Uh, maybe he has a similar year to how Mikheyev started, but it's like, let's not just assume this kid's going to sub in. I mean, no, like I, I drafted kind of my own, my own lineup and the fourth line, it's like VC question mark, Barabanov. And then the centers, you got like a slew full of guys like Engvall, Spezza. And remember going back to the Mikheyev thing, Engvall gets, he just got signed uh, another two years, 1.25. Engvall. Yeah. So you got to think that Mikheyev gets like a mill at least. Yeah. I think that's like a one year, one mill deal. I think that'll get it done for now. Yeah. And that's, and then you have all these other questions. Like what do you do with Nick Robertson? Because if the, because if the OHL indeed is shutting it down or like the CHL ends up shutting it down. I know the OHL was talking about, we highlighted it last week about their, them playing with no hitting then do you just pull them up with the big club full time and just say, all right, like we're just going to ride it out. And st- I don't think it's necessarily good for his development to be sitting in the press box rather than playing any sort of hockey, but also it's not going to be good for his development playing in the league where they're basically playing shinny. So right. what do you do with that player? Cause no, no hitting, right? Like that's, yeah, brutal. that's abolished. So yeah, sure. That will, definitely impede his progress and growth but i think he certainly has a spot on the starting roster come opening night whenever that may be and you know i'm sure dubas does he though pardon i think so i'm 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 not so sure i I think think, uh, i think it's gonna be a battle in camp and i think when you look at the way that the leafs are trying to structure their roster now i'm not certain that they're gonna go with a young player who has the size or has the speed and skill over maybe a veteran player who is more experienced and can play a more physical rounded out game or rounded out two-way game over Robertson. Interesting. Interesting, Ken. I just, but- I, like, I just don't think it's a lock, you know? They pu- they plugged him in in the Columbus series. It is what it is. They, he had a decent series. You know, he scored his first goal. Congratulations to him. I'm just not certain that Sheldon Keefe is ready to – plug him into the lineup full time and they shouldn't rush it. I mean, if you can let him develop still in the minors, which is like, that's the big question, right? Is he going to be playing competitive hockey? Because if he's not going to be doing that, then you almost inherently have to bring him up and try to develop him along the way. Nobody knows what the hell the AHL is going to be doing right now. Yeah. Mom's the word on that. No. And aside from just some murmurs here and there, it seems like the NHL doesn't really have a plan the Vegas owner accidentally let slip during an interview today that uh, something about the all Canadian division. I I don't know the context of the question, but I think uh, the interviewer was asking about perhaps uh, a matchup. It must've been like about talking about playing Vancouver, like with Nate Schmidt on the other side or whatever. And he was like, well, like, yeah, but they might be in the all Canadian division start the season. And that was sort of like the first Uh real, yeah, that was the sort of the first real, confirmation that that it's all just been speculation to this point and obviously you feel like the ownership has like obviously an insight into what jerry's thinking yeah (laughs) like uh, (laughs) you got something for me here or what 
But Jerry? Yeah, I feel like Jerry, like, would have wanted to announce it himself, like, and this was just a slip of the tongue from the Vegas owner. I was like, wait a minute. You're like, who are you talking about, Jerry? Yeah, I was like, Jerry's percentages from TSN Overdrive? Are we talking Gary Bettman here? Yeah, Gary Bettman. Sorry, I always just assume, like, I just work all these shows at 1050 all the time. I just assume that everybody knows that Jerry is actually Gary Bettman. I didn't even, yeah, I didn't even, it didn't even click for me. But, yeah, I guess Gary's probably like, come on, man. Like, you basically just let it roll off the tongue like that. Yeah, you just ousted us. Yeah, thanks. But, I mean, hey, for us, like, you know, fans are licking their chops. It's like, hell yeah. Get to see McDavid more in Toronto? Come on. Aaron Dell. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I touched on him before. He's going to be a good third stringer. And cheap, too. Yeah, that's basically where I'm at with him, too. Um, I think that this is showing maturity from Kyle. (laughs) Sure. I think this is showing maturity from Kyle Dubas as a manager. And I think for better or for worse, he's learned from the mistakes that have been made in the first couple of years of his tenure. And some of the most glaring mistakes have been lack of depth on defense and lack of depth at the goaltending position. And it kind of handcuffed them at points in time when they had injuries at those positions because they didn't have NHL caliber players that they could plug in. I don't expect Aaron Dell to play any sorts of any sorts of competitive minutes at the NHL level for the franchise. But if for some reason Frederick Anderson or Jack Campbell go down, at least you have an NHL caliber third string backup that you can plug into the lineup. Well look at Vegas. We were talking about the Vegas Golden Knights in year one on our last pod, how many goalies did they go through? Like, it's like, oh, yeah, Flurry goes down, and then, like, their back Malcolm goes down, Subban. Malcolm Subban like, goes down, and all of a sudden they're on their fourth-string goalie in their first year. It's like they don't have the depth of an organization to be going out to their fourth-string goalie in their first year, but they made it work. And that's what good organizations do. They're able to just sort of shuffle on the fly, figure out a situation that's going to be able to work for them, and I appreciate the fact that Kyle Dubas was able to articulate the fact that this was a position of need and that they, you need to have at least NHL caliber, at, even at your third string, your fourth string players, yeah. just in yes. case. Because you never know what's going to happen, especially with Frederick Anderson. I don't want to say the guy's a glass jaw, but there's been more than one occasion where he's been sort of bumped on a four check coming into the net and had to leave the game and missed several games after the fact, recovering from whatever the injury was. So, it's not as exactly as if you're going to be able to count on him being your solidified starter for, you know, 55, 60 games a year because he's going to miss a couple here and there. Yeah, and, you know, you look at the other goalies in the pipeline. You got Ian Scott and Joseph Wall after Kaskasuo left. So really not a lot of options, I'll say. And this this will certainly bolster their their goalie depth and – Obviously, you're getting a, a, a sound NHL goaltender who had decent goals against average a couple years ago. So, you never know. He could, he could turn things around. He might play a few games. But, again, it gives, it gives management and the team options. So, it's, it's a good pickup. I just want to throw this out there because I was doing some research today and it made me feel good to see that uh, Austin Matthews, William Nylander, John Ferris, and Mitch Marner have combined for 548 points in the last two seasons. So a lot of other teams will point to the facts that they haven't had success in the postseason, but that's pretty impressive numbers from the forwards that are making all the money. So 
And you expect for those numbers to go up as they continue on their career trajectory here. So just wanted to throw that out there. Uh, what did you think of some of the other big name free agent signings? Most notably, a little bit of surprise, I would say, not necessarily if that's going on the limb. Taylor Hall signs with the Buffalo Sabres. That was a that was probably my pick. I mean, we were we were texting about this earlier in the week. And this is a which is weird to think for Taylor Hall, a former first overall pick in what year? Twenty eleven? Oh, I remember what year. I'm not I'm twenty ten or twenty eleven. The, the Oilers had like back to back first overall pick. They've had first overall pick like every year. Um yeah, it's weird to think he's you know, he's late twenties now and he's on a one year eight million dollar deal to Buffalo. And I don't know like I would have never have guessed that. And I don't really see it panning out. Everyone every well, even you were saying, like, yeah, like Skinner and Eichel, it's like, well, we can't just assume they're gonna have immediate success in chemistry. Like I, I'm kinda like I'm kinda hesitant about how that year will unfold for Taylor Hall. I don't think it's gonna be that good. See, I'm actually in the opposite camp for you, and I think that this makes a lot of sense for the player. When I look at the way that the market was shifting out, basically there weren't going to be a whole ton of contenders who had a ton of cap space. So that basically handcuffed him initially because all of a sudden all the, um, the majority of the suitors that he was going to go to were already eliminated based off the fact that they weren't going to be able to give him the amount of money they wanted. So then when you assume that already, there's a handful of teams who are still available. Obviously, Montreal was considered to be in the mix. But when you look at Buffalo, it's a unique situation because, A, there's no pressure on the team right now. There's no expectations. They, well, maybe they've risen a little bit now with the signing of Taylor Hall. But this team was not expected to be a playoff team. Also, you have the opportunity to play with the center of the likes of Jack Eichel, which I got to be honest, I don't know how many centers there are in the league that are better than him. Five, like five, six, seven. Very few, a handful. Like very yeah. few. Like I would, I would suggest that he's probably without pouring over the numbers, like a top five center in the league. No. Yeah, I'd say so. Okay, so so when you're playing with him, you obviously understand that your points are going to go through the roof. You have Jeff Skinner on the opposite wing, who has the ability to play the left or the right side, and he's just going to be salivating in the fact that he's going to have another player of Hall, Taylor Hall's caliber on the other wing because he can sort of revive that year that he had, not this past year, but the year before when he signed the big contract extension at Buffalo. I really think that the Eichel Skinner Hall tandem has the ability to be one of the best lines, not even just in the Atlantic division, but in the whole NHL, one of those dominant lines in the likes of Boston, when they roll out Bergeron, Marshawn and Pasternak and the likes of Colorado, when they roll out McKinnon, Ransonen and Landeskog just a dominant force that will be able to control the play for 20 minutes a game. I, it's a fair point. Like, obviously, you know, I can't, I can't say Eichel is outside the top 10 for, for centers across the league. Like he, he is a fantastic centerman. He is the franchise piece for the Buffalo Sabres. Yeah, but it's like, I don't know Hall, if he's like a top five, top 10, why, whatever. But. Why Buffalo though? And, and I don't know the, the one year, you know, obviously the, the he gets to play with Jack Eichel. Yeah, but like were were teams offering him term? Like I don't I don't feel like a lot of managers are, are fully invested in, in to like he's he's bounced you can officially say now he's bounced around the league. 
Yeah, this is a one-year bet on yourself. I won the Hart Trophy in New Jersey. I'm going to bet on the fact that I could put up an 85-90 point season playing with Jack Eichel as my center, and then I'm going to cash in. That's where Taylor Hall is at. So he wants to kind of use he wants to kind of use Buffalo as a ploy to get his mojo back. Of course, he needs he needs his mojo. He got his mojo stolen. And Zona. Yeah, he got his mojo stolen from. John Chaika. John Chaika John John stole yeah. his mojo. Good Lord. And before guess... that, Peter, Peter Shirelli stole his mojo in Edmonton. Yeah, I'm getting, oh, he's getting sick and tired. Like, I was actually like, maybe this is, here's a weird thing. Maybe the Buffalo Sabres are just bringing him in so they can make sure that they get the first overall pick next year. Mm. Yeah, that's he's been a, on a lot of teams. I, I feel a, like the mm. only team. I don't know, how many teams has he been on that he's been that the number one pick has been taken? I think it's like seven out seven times, eight times in his career he's been on a team that's taken the first overall pick. I was thinking about Yakupov because he's another guy who's been bounced around, <laughs> and like a number, a former first overall pick as well. And like Edmonton's has had the worst luck with getting the first pick and like grooming and developing that player. Yeah, it's been awful. The other big fish, Petrangelo, signs with Vegas. Obviously, we uh, highlighted earlier, Nate Schmidt gets shipped out to clear the cap room. He goes to Vancouver for a third-round pick. This was a little bit peculiar to me because Vegas has had a lot of success. I feel like they might just be playing with fire a little bit here. Screw up the locker room chemistry and they're moving pieces around when they've been very, very successful. And now all of a sudden you're playing with a dynamic that's already been proven to win to bring in a big name free agents who they expect will put them over the top. And obviously Alex Petrangelo, one of the best right-handed defensemen in the league, but is he going to be the piece to push the Vegas golden Knights to the promised land? I think he can. I I see Vegas going back to the conference finals again, man. There's there's such a scary team and this just, obviously they they lose with the tandem as well. Of uh, Robin Leiter and Marc-Andre Fleury, because at least for now, they're going to hold on to both of them for the regular season. Yes. You know, Nate Schmidt leaving, you get a third-round pick, but that was just – you kind of just have to look by that, considering they, they landed a, a guy in Alex Petrangelo's guy. Captain of the Capitan, Stanley Cup champion. Stanley Cup oh, champ, gold medalist, all-star. Like, Best yeah. friend of Carlo Koliakobo. Yes, they're like brothers. <laughs> <laughs> um. No, this just, you know, bolsters the back end. Obviously, Vegas has just a stupid forward group. And this is, I think this is just going to help them even more. And obviously, no state tax in Vegas. So, I'm sure Alex was just like, cha-ching. yeah, cha-ching. I, I think it's just going to Im- improve their, their overall culture and their style of play. And, again, this will be their third year in the league. And... They've pretty much gone deep in, in every year of their existence. So this is, this is just a fabulous addition. And, you know, everyone was, was waiting, holding their breath to know where Alex Petrangelo would land, similar to where Johnny T would go two years ago. And now we finally know. It'll be interesting to watch for me because I feel like now the biggest Golden Knights have completely flipped their philosophy on the head, which you have to do sometimes when you're having the success and you're in the window, which they are, they're in the championship window and you, you do whatever you can 
to win the Stanley Cup when you're in that perennial championship window. But they have a lot of big contracts now tied up in all their players. Like they signed Mark Stone to the big extension, and that contract will be great for the next two or three years, and then the players are going to start to go on the decline. And they have Max Pacioretty right now. He's performing at a high level, but again, in the back nine of his career, and then that contract is going to start to go on the decline. And Alex Petrangelo right now will probably look good for the next two, three, four years. But then that contract is going to be a little bit too expensive to, for the player to be able to play up to it. It's a very interesting change of philosophy from the Vegas Golden Knights. I understand you have to win right now. I was just a little bit surprised at the cost that they were willing to give up, essentially for nothing, because they essentially traded Paul Stassi into Winnipeg for a bag of pucks. And they traded the same thing, Schmidt to a yep. very serviceable NHL defenseman who will likely slot into Tanev's spot in Vancouver and be playing in the top four to Vancouver for a third-round pick, which is nothing. It's nothing. Like, you aren't going to be able to draft – well, maybe if you're lucky, you might be able to draft a player that would be able to take Schmidt's spot in the top four of a lineup, but you aren't expecting to have a third-round pick. Those are sort of like when – the picks when you start to roll the dice or flip the coins as the prospect on prospects rather to see if they're going to work out. I was just very surprised at what the prices that they were willing to give up and ultimately not plug holes in their lineup, which was ultimately the problem. They had trouble scoring goals and neither the addition of Alex Petrangelo is not going to help them on the offensive side. Now they're going to need to figure out who's going to be their C2, who's going to be their C3 moving forward. Another signing, uh, actually in the Atlantic division, uh, Brendan Gallagher signed up. Nice long-term extension for him with the Montreal Canadiens. This was essential for Mark Bergevin to get this player signed up. For me, the best player and the most important players on offense are going to, moving forward, are going to be Kokaniemi and Nick Suzuki. The leader in the locker room is going to be Shea Weber right now. He's wearing the C, Jeff Petrie. Those guys have the veteran experience. But the most important player on the team in Montreal for me is Brendan Gallagher. He's the heartbeat of the team. He's the lifeblood. He reminds me a lot of Ryan Callahan and his teams that he captained in New York. Just the heartbeat of this franchise. And it was so important for them to get locked up. Him locked up to a long-term deal. They were able to do that today. I think it's a a perfect contract. I mean, Brendan Gallagher is one of my most favorite players just to watch his playing favorite style. Favorite player to watch, but you hate it because he plays on the Habs. But if you play on Toronto, he would be loved. He's just, yeah, he's just a better Zach Hyman. You know, he's, he's ferocious on the puck. He can score and he's just a pest. Like, you know, I think of all those series the Habs had against the Bruins in 14, 15. And, you know, it was always Gallagher versus Marshawn. And, you know, he's not flashy, but he, he is the heartbeat of that team. And yeah. that was that was a great signing. Six years, thirty-six mil total. So, congrats to Brendan Gallagher. And I, I wanted to also mention Tory Krug going to the Blues. Seven years, yeah. forty-five mil. So, you know, obviously they lose their their staple D man in Petrangelo, but they get Krug back, who's also uh, who's also a, a very very sound defensive player. Did you see that tweet? I believe it was uh, Bertuzzo or maybe Robert Thomas when he got leveled by Krug in the cup final a couple years ago, or last year, I should say. 2019 seems like forever ago now. I always say like, oh yeah, it was two years ago. 
but that yeah, gap it does that gap since March to like I guess well now uh, this is the shortest like longest shortest year of my life yes precisely like, I, like I'm like it feels like it was forever ago like stuff that happened last year but then I'm like is really November I know it's or yeah October, November's upon us yeah he'll look he'll plug in well there and that was kind of the writing on the wall for the Petrangelo thing as well is that when they signed Tori Krug, it was like, yeah, there's no, there's no room. Like, obviously, the Blues moved on, Petrangelo's moved on. And by that point, it was a foregone conclusion that he was going to re- or that he was going to move on, sign in Vegas. So, no surprises there. Yeah, I really love the signing of Brendan Gallagher. A conversation I saw him, like, today on our favorite platform on Twitter, at LeafsPod, at Ken Stapon, at McCarthy 95 was who would you rather have on your team at the price point? Would you rather have Gallagher at 6.5 or would you rather have Nylander at 6.9? But it's like, for me, like that, obviously we're biased, but it's like, I'd rather have Nylander with his upside for offense, but. Uh, yeah, that's pretty easy. Six, I mean, yeah, it'd be great to have a Gallagher, though. but like, yeah. we could, well, they the have thing is, they trade him to Colorado. the thing is, is that, yeah, I, I, I think I would, I'd rather have Nylander because, Hyman can kind of fill that like mean sandpaper role that Gallagher does better, but I still yeah. want the skill of Nylander. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, the upside is there for Nylander for sure. Um, obviously, another big ad for the Habs was Ty- Tyler Toffoli. Brings great uh, playoff experience. And, I mean, the Habs have done the a – The Habs look good. That, yeah, they've done a pretty good job of, of retooling on the fly here. And I hate know, the Habs. Kudos to Bergevin. Look- I hate the Habs, but they're gonna look. They look like a hard team to play against right now. I have yeah. a lot of respect for that. They do, especially like they're going with the tandem goalie. I think they're gonna keep uh, Jake Allen on. Uh, like right. I'm seeing, cap, I'm seeing on cap friendly now. He's actually signed a two year extension. I must have missed this, but he's getting paid the four point three five this year, and then he's getting paid just under three million, two point eight for the next two years. I completely missed that until I was just looking at cap friendly right now. So obviously that's the tandem that they're going with Allen and price, man. I love that for the Canadians. Oh, it's great. They got a, a solid tandem now, obviously price leading the way. Allen's and, younger too, 30. Yeah. And then of course they chomp some minutes. Yeah. And then you got Josh Anderson too on that long-term deal. So they've definitely made some very substantial moves here. That's going to certainly pay dividends. So They've been rocking and rolling this offseason, as have the Leafs. They've been active. Yeah, I feel like you could flip a coin right now as to who the best Canadian team is at this point in time, whether it's the Canucks, whether it's who just got completely gassed in free agency, or whether it's the Calgary Flames, Toronto's in that conversation, Montreal's obviously made the addition. Really the only team that's out of it for me is the Ottawa Senators who are – in a total rebuild. So that's not a surprise. They're going to be there in the next three to five years. They'll be ready to compete again. But my goodness, is this a good time for Canadian hockey and a really entertaining free agent period, to be honest. I just, I just wish we could watch them some haggy right now. I mean, we'll be tuning into uh, some of the championship series, baseball that is later, but there's going to be a period. Where we're going to have nothing, Kenny. It's going to be uh going to be light sports uh, sports wise we'll have nfl but that's about hey, it we're gonna fire it up on sundays and have a uh, little nfl sundays at your place out here that we're at we got the nice lakefront view oh yeah it's money, money in the yeah 
Yeah, I could deal with that. We could uh, fire up some NFL Sundays, watch the pass, watch the – who's your NFL team? Are you a Texans. Bills guy? The Texans. Yeah, I'm a Bill Texans guy. really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it's rough it's right now. We finally good. grinded one out against the uh, Jags, but, I mean, kind of have to. And we were talking about this before, man. They had a really rotten start schedule-wise. I mean, you get Chiefs, Ravens, Steelers, and then yeah, the Vikings. Look, for, look, look forward to that. So that was anytime the Vikings is the easiest team on your schedule. That's uh, it's not an ideal situation. Yeah, I guess really the the first three matchups were were formidable teams to face. So, I mean they got they got a win under their belt. So hopefully they can rally a few more. But geez, it's kind of tough considering this team went all the way to the AFC Championship last year. So we'll see how things develop, mate. Okay, so when we say part two, we actually did record half of this episode earlier in the week, figuring that the Maple Leafs were probably done as far as the free agent moves. Uh, We recorded the first half of this on Wednesday. Just as 2020 goes, can't take anything for granted, and the Leafs make a big signing. It's bringing Jumbo Joe to the six. What's your initial reaction? Jumbo Joe. Well, my first reaction was, if you were to tell me five years ago that John Tavares, Jason Spezza, and Joe Thornton would all be donning the Maple Leafs uniform, I think you're crazy. If you told me five years ago that all those guys would still be playing hockey, I would have told you (laughs) that you were crazy. True. I mean, this this is a great addition, man. And, of course, cheap, too. I think he was kind of just using HC Davos and the Swiss League as a ploy because you got to think he wanted to make a return. And, you know, I'm sure Marlo, a former Leaf, was – was saying all great things about Toronto. And we've said countless times on the pod, Ken, that, you know, Toronto is is quickly becoming an attractive spot for free agents and for people who are at the end of their career. And I think it's a great option for the Leafs and a great fit and a great move for Thornton. So as far as the HC Davos thing is concerned, um, he did, he does have a history with the franchise. Like back in the lockout, I believe, I forget what exact year it was. Was it 03, 04, 04, 05, something around there? Yeah. Uh, back in the lockout, he played the majority of his hockey with the club. Uh, notably, his wife is also Swiss. So he spends his off seasons in Switzerland, which actually allows him to play for the team as a technical like Swiss player, not an import. Okay. He has a Swiss passport, so he can basically just go and play for them like no problem at all. It's not really a pain in the ass for them to – move around the roster or anything like that because technically you can just join the club so just going to his history of his career and him just being a really interesting guy both on and off the ice I didn't find it surprising that he was trying to get in a couple of games in the offseason over in Switzerland against a co- what's quite frankly lesser competition right but there's no way he was staying there no for the no, year like not, it- not if he had the option to come back to the NHL yeah, that, and that's kind of what I was saying. Like, he was, I'm sure, sniffing around. I'm sure Dubas and company were, were still trying to work out some sort of deal and contract, and, and they made it work. And, you know, the rest of the offseason now is going to be Twitter blowing up with possible line combinations. And quite frankly, you know, that fourth line for the Leafs could potentially be really good. I'm not sure how, many, how much legs they're going to have or how – how well their legs are going to be groomed. I don't know really how you want to say it. Um, they're quite old though. 
Like, I'm not sure how much Joe Thornton has in the tank. I think, obviously, this is more of a, a locker room situation and what he brings off the ice as far as the pedigree of having a player who just has scored 1,500 career points, uh, a guy that's been captain for multiple franchises. Was he the captain in Boston before he got traded? I believe so, in 03. That's a, that's a reach. Yeah, I, I, believe, I believe he was. So when you're bringing a guy in that has that sort of a resume – he demands the respect in the room immediately. And it's been well-documented, his level of competitiveness, his will to win, and the way that he inspires and the level of excellence he, ins- he expects of his teammates and the people around him. It, this makes total sense for me that Kyle Dubas would bring him in. As far as what his effect is going to be off the ice, it's worthwhile for me. I have a little bit, um, a little bit more re- reservations based off what he's going to be able to produce on the ice at well, he's going to be 41, 42 years old now heading into the next season. I think it's going to be like a Patrick Marlowe 2.0 in terms of, you know, instilling more confidence and mentorship for Matthews and, and Marner in particular. You can just tell by, you know, the way the Sharks teammates respected this guy. I mean, the outpour of support via Twitter, clearly he was an essential piece for, for many years in San Jose and, of course, in Boston. So, the Leafs, I think, I don't want to say they struck gold with Thornton because, as you said, he's he's 41. But at the time, it's it's a great addition. Like it, he's going to be he's going to be a gem in the locker room, and he's going to obviously give whatever he has left in the tank on the ice. I mean, you're not going to expect you know the Hart Trophy, Art Ross winner, 0506 Thornton, but you can expect you know a Thornton that really has melded well into that mentorship role and can still probably produce like 15, 20 points. In a weird way, and I didn't think this at all when it came down that it was going to be a flat cap and that there was going to be a crunch on salaries and stuff like that. I thought that Toronto was screwed when all of this happened. But in a weird way, in the way that the market played out, it actually ended up benefiting the Leafs like hugely, the fact that the cap didn't inflate because it drove down the price of the free agent market. And then they're able to go out and sign these guys. They get Wayne Simmons at 1.5. They get, you know, Jimmy BC coming in at a low, low deal. They get Joe Thornton coming in at a low, low deal. They're able to sign all these additional players, supplementary players for low, low league minimum deals. And I'm not sure that, that would have been able to happen before, although there would have had a little bit more flexibility maybe if the cap got bumped up. But Toronto's been a team that's really benefited in addition to the fact that they're a franchise that can still afford to go out and spend the money, whereas other franchises are just like, uh-oh, if there's no fans, we're going to have trouble making ends meet. Dump the money right now. And it's interesting, too, the, the guys you listed off in particular, like Thornton, Bogosian, Simmons, they are a multi-tooled player, and they can effectively play up and down the lineup. So that, that's going to give them great options as well. You know, Simmons, you could put Simmons with Matthews, really. And you could put Thornton on the third line. Like, he, he's, he's more than comfortable, I'm sure, than, than owning both the fourth and third line. So there's going to be a lot, of, a lot of trio options. When I look at the lineup, uh, you mentioned before, everybody's going to be throwing out lineups all offseason now. I think it's probably going to look something like this. Uh, Matthews between Hyman and Nylander. Tavares between Mikheyev and Marner. I'm assuming that Kerfoot's probably still going to be the C3. So I don't know who's going to be we'll on put the an necessarily. Beside him. Exactly. And uh, I'm going to put an asterisk beside Nick Robertson, who I have penciled in right now 
on the wing with Kerfoot in addition to Simmons. And then the fourth line looking like it's going to be Thornton between BC and Spezza. That's what I likely think the forward group is going to look like, but there's a lot of room for flexibility here. And I'm not sure what Sheldon Keefe's motive is going to be moving into this offseason, but he's got a lot of players that he could move around into different spots in the lineup, including but not limited to William Nylander, who I wouldn't rule out moving playing some center at this point in the season. Well, he was certainly groomed to be a centerman. I mean, when he used to play with the Marlies, I believe – Hyman, Nylander, and Brown played together. I mean, he he was developing into a center. center. Absolutely. And in the Mike Babcock days, you know, they experimented Uh, with that. Mike Babcock. Sorry, Mike Mike Babcock. They experimented with that, but they did it probably like a dozen times, I say, since Nylander's joined the club full-time. Hasn't really looked too good, but, you know, well, granted, the last time that they threw him in there was in the playoff series against Columbus when they put all the big boys up on the on the first line, right. yeah. trying to you know get something going offensively. And then they put Nylander as the C two. Granted, he, I'll I'll give you that one. He didn't look good, but that's such a difficult position to throw the player into when they haven't been playing. You know, you're coming off the break where you haven't been playing consistent competitive hockey in such an extended period of time, and then you're being asked to play the C two position a really important position on the team, both offensively and defensively. That was a big responsibility, and I do agree that he didn't look excellent or comfortable in the position at that point in time. But that's also like a little bit on the coaching staff, putting the player in a bad position. I suspect that probably Nylander will stay on Matthew's wing. I'm just bringing up as a potential option for Sheldon Keefe. When you look at these guys, I mean, even Kerfoot, I'm not certain that he's going to be the third-line center. I mean, it's how, how sure are you that he's developed and or is going to continue to develop and get comfortable in that position? They played him at the wing quite a bit this season, and I wouldn't be surprised perhaps to see Spezza go and slot up in the third-line center role or Thornton in the fourth-line center role and see the coach move around pieces like that if things aren't working for him. Absolutely. I think we should make mention, too, because this happened yesterday. We're doing part two of this episode on a Sunday. Cody Cece finally finds a home in Pitt. I guess that makes sense for why they bought out Jack Johnson, but it's 1.25 million AAV. Not too bad. 1.25 is, I mean, Leaf fans will have passion, passionate conversations about Cody Cece and uh, what his contributions were in Toronto. Basically, he was just a cap dump, though. Right. right. He was like, you had to take on some money to get rid of the Zaitsev deal. Ottawa was willing to take on the Zaitsev deal. Zaitsev wanted out of Toronto due to some off-ice issues, which we won't uh, get into on the podcast because those are uh, private things between himself and uh, the people around him. But Cody Cece wasn't a $4 million or whatever his cap it was. What was it, 4.5? It was ridiculous. Five million bucks. It was something to the tune of that, and he was not even close to playing up to that level of a deal. The good news is for Toronto is that it was only the one-year deal. And then you're out of it. He's gone. He signed in Pittsburgh. You've allocated the money elsewhere. I think the actually the math works out that they're paying 500k more for TJ Brody than you were paying for Cody CC last year. So Toronto could feel pretty good about that exchange. And speaking of new faces in new places, we got new numbers. Real Sports Apparel now offering 78 for Brody, 22 for Bogosian, and 97, the classic 97 for Joe Thornton. I thought it was a classy move that Spezza offered number 19 to Jumbo. 
Class act by Jason Spezza and understanding, you know, we talk about the respects that this player has in the league. I mean, Jason Spezza as well has had a career that's seconds to not a lot of players. He's been very accomplished throughout his career, obviously putting up tremendous numbers in Ottawa while he played there. I just thought this was a class act from a veteran player to show homage to the greatness of Joe Thornton and what he's meant to the league and what just the respect that other players have for him in the league to offer to give up his number. Also, now the Leafs have three first overall picks on the team in Austin Matthews, John Tavares, and now Joe Thornton. Yes, and almost Jason Spezza, but Ilya Kovalchuk was better in 01, I guess, according to draft scouts. I think he was uh, better overall in his career, too. Yes, maybe. True. Although he did uh, leave to go to the KHL for a little bit there in the middle. Yeah, uh, he kind of left uh, New Jersey hanging after they signed him to a mammoth long-term deal. Yeah, well, I, I don't blame him. Who would want to spend uh, that many years in Newark? Have you ever been? No. It's a little dicey. <laughs> I've, uh, I've, I've flown oh, so. out of there a couple times. It's sort of like you're uh, driving through New York, and then you like get across the bridge and you get into Newark, and you're just like, where the hell am I? Yeah, this isn't New York. It's a little dicey over there. Uh, this is also reminiscent for me, the way that Kyle Dubas is sort of restructured on the fly here. Reminiscent of earlier teams, I believe it was in the early 2000s, 03, 04, when they would pick up veteran players like this. You remember the additions of Owen Nolan, the addition of Ron Francis, uh, Brian Leach. Doug Gilmore when they brought him back in for sort of that second stint. And yes, Brian Leach, <clears throat> just bringing in accomplished NHL veterans to subsidize the lineup. I was kind of thinking too, Kenny, we don't hear much of Brendan Shanahan, who has been with the club probably since 2014, I want to say. Do you think he had... I think an, we... I was just I think say, he had think an enormous part. Enormous impact, this, enormous yes. part. I think so too, because obviously there was that friction between Babcock and Dubas, and obviously the that created a bit of a rift in the relationship. But you have to think Shanahan was like, look, Kyle, like we're not just going to win solely on skill here. This is We need to add some some cheap, affordable, you know, gritty pieces. And I'm sure they had a conversation and it was successful. This is for sure a departure for the Maple Leafs based off of what their philosophy was before about how they were going to try to win in the league. Like over the last several years, building the team around speed and skill rather than those, uh, I forget, how, how do you say it? Those uh, intangibles, the grit, the determination, uh, the size, the physicality, the will to win, the, the ability to drag other teammates into the fight. That was something that the analytics community, you can look at it on paper, but it's unquantifiable. And they've added a number of those players in Bogosian and Simmons and now in Joe Thornton who are able to elevate the level of competitiveness of the players around them and hold people accountable if they aren't showing up to skate. I think it's been tremendous additions, and I don't think that there's any doubt that your boy, Brendan Shanahan, has made some adjustments to the Shanna plan. And Give credit to Kyle Dubas as well. I mean, this is a young GM in the league who's making additions on the fly. He's learned from his mistakes based off of the level of success that his teams have had or the lack of success, as a lot of people would point to, over the last several seasons. And he has made adjustments. He's added depth on defense so that they don't get caught in a situation where Jake Muzzin leaves the lineup and then they have no subsidized players or no players who they can subsidize their lineup rather if a player like him goes out, he looked at the goaltending as being an issue when Anderson goes down and then you don't have a bona fide backup, let alone a bona fide third stringer 
to come in in case he has to get any starts, which inevitably if Anderson misses any time, Aaron Dell can now sniff the net. So he adjusted that. He looked at his forward group and decided we need to be more difficult to play against. And he was very vocal about that before the draft. And he brought in players who have the reputation of being difficult to play against. I, I give a lot of credit to Kyle Dubas for retooling on the fly and really putting his stamp on this team. Like it's no longer Lou Lamarillo's team. No. And you can't like, there won't be any excuses this year. If the team is not successful, he's gone out, he's gotten his guys. He targeted specific players in the market in Bogosian and Thornton and Simmons. He went out, he paid for them. Some people have been critical about certain signings. I'm holding reserving judgment because I think on paper, they all look really good. And I am excited to see what this new Leafs team looks like. But if it's not successful, there's no hiding behind a Lou Lamarella contract or, you know, we had to ship out a first round pick to get rid of Patrick Marlowe because that was a terrible deal in the third year of the deal. Or we had to, you know, take on the Cody CC contract for a year to get rid of the Zaitsev deal that Lou signed. This is Kyle Dubas's team and he's going to go down with the Titanic if they can't get out of the first round. It's a precarious, precarious situation, man. All one year deals, as you said, retooling on pressure's the flight. It's win now pressure's on. That's all there is to it. And they have the right pieces now. I think up to this point, the pressure has been mostly on the players. But I think now at this point, like coming into this season, this is the first time where I think that Kyle Dubas is probably going to be feeling a little bit of heat under his seat from MLSE and the management teams and the big wigs who sit in the offices and ultimately pull the strings. I think this is one of those seasons that Kyle Dubas is going to start feeling some heat and they better make the playoffs first and foremost. I think a lot of us are assuming that this group is going to be a playoff team. They got to show me something first, because I don't think that can generally be assumed, especially with the additions that some of the other teams have made in the Atlantic division, particularly the Montreal Canadiens. I got to feel that a second season under Joel Quinville is going to see the Florida Panthers pull some things together in their systems and our understanding about how they want to play the game. And then obviously you still got Tampa Bay and Boston in that division. I don't think it's a foregone conclusion. And I didn't even mention Buffalo with the addition of Taylor Hall. Who knows how competitive they're going to be, albeit they still have to fill out some holes in the rest of their lineup. I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that this Maple Leafs team is just going to cruise to a playoff spot at this point. And I don't think that the fan base should take that for granted that now we're just good to go. They're still going to have to play hard in the regular season. They're still going to have to get through that grind of a schedule in the regular season. And then if they are privileged enough to get a first round playoff berth, they better hope that it's on home ice this year, because that's the expectation in addition to just making the playoffs. And they better hope that they get through the first round because otherwise there's going to, there's going to be a, there's going to be some changes I would think around the organization. Well, if there is to be an all Canadian division, that will change the lane. That will change the landscape completely. Will it not? I mean, you could have a first round of, of it would be versus McDavid. So I think, so I'm, I'm not exactly sure about this, but from my understanding, the all Canadian division wouldn't be for the full length of the season. They would basically the just be, they would basically just be buying some time to see what happens in the States and sort of figure out schematically how it would work. Having teams come across the border, whether or not they're going to set up bubbles in specific cities yeah. for specific okay. times, it would basically just be kicking the can down the road to keep the American teams from coming across the border and keep the Canadian teams from going back and forth. 
So my understanding is that the Canadian division would kind of be a thing where they maybe play, say, I don't know, 28 games at the beginning of the season. You sort of play each team three or four times, get all the matchups out of the way, obviously play like the teams that are probably inherently in your division a little bit more. But then it would graduate to a point where they start playing the teams south of the border. To keep on the Joe Thornton note, I just wanted to say that a piece of Joe Thornton lives at Scotiabank Arena already, and it's his facial hair. Remember that, <laughs> that tussle with uh, oh my god with, with Nas? Yeah. and he just ripped it out. Oh my goodness! Yeah, I wonder who I'd, picked I'd, that I'd up. Forgotten about that to be honest. Yeah, I think it was the like the linesman skating over, and he's just like ah, sort of skating over <laughs> that's to just, the San Jose just, bench. Do I dump it or do I give it, it back to, to Joe? Yeah, that was a uh, that was a tough situation to watch. That that must have hurt too, eh? Oh, that would hurt. Like for a tough guy, just getting a big chunk of the beard hair ripped out, and everybody was ribbing Cadre for that. But if you're fighting a guy of Joe Thornton's caliber and of Joe Thornton's size, you just got to grab onto anything for dear life and just start shucking them. Yeah, and I think that's why I was watching that before we recorded, and Joe just looks incensed. And I think it's more be like you're literally grabbing like my beard right off its skin, like that would kill. Yeah, not to mention the fact that Joe, with the respect that he is around the league, he probably just didn't want to deal with Nas at this point in time. He's probably like, come on, buddy. Yeah, please. No, leave me alone. If you want to go, we can go. Yeah, like he's a little bit – he was in the back nine of his career. He must have been, what, 38, 39? This was like 2018. Yeah, This was 17, 18. So so he probably would have been about 38, 39 years old. And he's like, man – I don't need to be fighting you right now. I've got nothing to prove in my career, but if you want to go, we can go. Nas just wasn't having it. And that's another player that um, has a lot of the intangibles that we've talked about, dragging people into the fight. Obviously, he had a tremendous postseason in Colorado. Very happy for him to get an elevated role there, as he would have never gotten that role in Toronto, playing behind Austin Matthews and John Tavares. So really happy for Nas to see him flourishing there, but happy for the Leafs as well that they've been able to add some guys who have similar demeanor to Nas and uh, bringing people into the fight. Do you think Dubas is done? Moves well, I'm not wise? certain how much cap space he's going to have to play with now. Yeah. It's like, so I can only offer you on like 500 K. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Two way deal buried in the Marlies. Like, yeah, we uh, might call you up uh, every once in a while here. I might call you up in Feb. We'll see. I'm not sure how well he's still got a couple players to sign. Let's not forget. He's still got to figure out the whole uh, McKay situation and the Dermot situation. So, be interesting to see how those play out again. I wouldn't be surprised to see maybe a one-year deal for both of those. Just sort of a, hey, you know, we're up against the cap right now. We love you guys as players. Can we just kick this down the road one year and then we can renegotiate when we have a little bit more flexibility when some of these other contracts are off the books that we just signed. Uh, the flip side to that is the players who are there and there's all these new free agents coming in who are getting paid and not necessarily a lot of money but that's allocated money that could have gone to the players who are already here. So when you see, you know, Boyd coming in, you see Thornton and VC and, you know, Simmons and Dermot's probably saying there, like, I wanted, you know, 1.82 million, but that's not going to be there for me now. McKayev obviously going to arbitration because he didn't want the league minimum again. Likely will come in probably around a million bucks regardless. But for those players, I want to put words in their mouth, but... When uh, the money's going flying around and it's uh, not going into your bank account, that could make you feel a certain kind of way. Evan Dermott should be done this week. I, I, would I expect. 
I expect that they'll be done sooner rather than later. All right, in that case, thank you for listening to episode 13 of Not Another Leafs Podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network. Remember to follow us on Twitter at Ken Sapon, at McCarthy 95 at LeafsPod, and at HockeyPod.net. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next time.